Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside Podcast. Today we have special guest John Muirlaws, who goes by Jack. Welcome, Jack. Jenny, I'm absolutely delighted to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yes, I'm really, I really, really excited about this episode um, because I am a newbie to nature journaling. And so I know that personally for our family, we're, we're just going to learn so much. Um, I just want to read your, your bio here. John Muir Laws, a.k.a. Jack, is an artist, naturalist, and nature journaling mentor. He has been journaling for decades, has written many books on nature journaling, and is working tirelessly to bring nature into the minds and hearts of people across the world. Jack talks about how paying sustained, compassionate attention to nature and to the people in our lives profoundly changes the way we relate to each other and interact with the world. What a bio. You're impacting the world. What a bio. It's, it's yeah. so strange. I, uh, before COVID, I um, was doing lots of stuff focused in the San Francisco Bay Area. And so every month I would go around on this, this circuit and teach these free nature journaling workshops and lead these uh, field experiences for people. Um, and those were really popular with uh, folks and families uh, all over the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. When COVID hit, I couldn't meet people face to face anymore. And I went online and it's opened up this, um, it's, it's opened up all these workshops to an audience across the globe. And it's wow. really fun. Now, when I teach these classes, there are people tuning in from the, the, the other side of the planet. Um, there are um, youth showing up on, uh, you can see on, on their videos that they have a headlamp on. It means it's pretty dark right. over there. On the other side wow. of the it's really, really wow. fun. And it's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's been also just wonderful to meet so many more people. Yeah. I mean, I, everyone speaks so highly of you. You know, I've listened to a couple of podcasts that you were on and then um, Elizabeth just, I mean, she just talks about how generous you are, you know, and how you just have all these materials for people that are free and, um, you know, you're just touching so many lives. So what a, what a gift to be able to, to talk to you this evening here for us. So um, oh, thanks for being on. I've got a, uh, I have a couple of your books here. Um. And actually, we had friends over today, Jack, and they were like, oh, we have that book. <laughs> so, that was really cool. So, I've got uh, The Law's Guide to Nature, Drawing, and Journaling. These are just these thick um, – this is like a hefty, amazing – like, you feel like you are getting your money's worth and more out of these books. Like, I'm like, does this thing cost $1,000? You know, no, it's only 35 bucks. you know? It's same with yeah, that, this one. That, it's sort of the thickness of a, of a telephone book. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> And so it's, it's, uh, some people have told me that something they've discovered about it is that it is useful for pressing plants. <laughs> that's, and, that's funny. <laughs> I don't know if I want to get, you'd get all the like dye in there though. I guess if you have wax paper, you know, but yeah, I mean, these are, these are hefty books. I think, you know, I love books. And so you buy a book sometimes and, you know, you spend 25 bucks, you get a couple things out of it. You know, this book, it's like every page there's, I mean, they're fantastic. They are, I really Okay, so here's where I'm at. I feel kind of guilty and remiss, like I've been missing out on this. And, um, but your book didn't add to that. It it, in, it inspired me, like, oh, mm. I'm going to add this in. You know that tone of it, and you just get so much out of the book. So, um, anyway, well, let's I, let's kind of pick up on on that thread there, because I think you touched on something that a lot of people feel that like, I feel remiss. I feel kind of guilty and remiss because there are so many things that we sort of feel that we ought to do, that we should be doing. And if I wasn't doing them already, I was doing something wrong. And now I'm behind, right? And so if I'm so far behind, why even start? Because isn't it too late to start putting in my, my, my time on developing some new skill? But this is, a, this is a set of kind of interlocking skills that you can, um, you can come to at any point. And the interesting thing is that you probably will have some part of this, everybody has some part of this skill set already much more developed. So you can use that as sort of your, 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 your safety zone, your comfort zone. Um, so, for instance, if you are more comfortable with with writing, 
and using words. You can launch your own nature journal and have it be mostly words. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to be prodding you and getting you to like, all right, let's just start to add in a little map or a little diagram, right? A little tiny sketch of this. All right. Next time, maybe we'll try two. And, um, or let's see if we, let's start counting things, you know, can we measure that too? And what, what happens is that starting where you are comfortable, you can then take little baby steps beyond that. And you're going to build up this suite of other associated skills. And a lot of people think that if you have to be born an artist in order to draw pictures, and it's completely false. Yeah. If you, of course, if you don't draw, you're not going to be somebody who draws. Um, but nobody starts being able to draw. Um, nobody starts being able to do really any of these skills. They're things that you develop over time. And as an adult, you start doing this on a regular basis. You're going to find that those skills that you haven't developed yet will come, they will develop really, really fast, surprisingly fast. I mean, that's so encouraging. This is really what I got out of your book. I kind of like, these are big books, you know, so I, I you know, I grab it and I'm thinking, okay, I, I got this podcast with Jack. We've never nature journaled. You know, I'm feeling like, ah, you know, and, and I pick up these books and, and I think, you know, I think a tone of the book could be, you missed out. What have you <laughs> been doing? You know, but the tone of the book is so encouraging, even like as a, a book for parenting or for teachers. Like you talk in here about the growth mindset. Um, people believe that most their most basic abilities can be developed through dedication and hard work. That brains and talent are just the starting point. Um, you say that does not mean learning new things is easy. You talk about the productive struggle. So, yeah. so I'm getting out of your book, you know, this inspiration to nature journal, but also it, it's rippling, you know, it's rippling my thoughts in other directions, right? Yeah. Um, Concepts like the, the growth mindset just have this, this, this universal applicability. So the general idea is that it's you're not stuck with the born the brain that you were born with. It's the brain that you make by the decisions and the work that you do while you're alive. And what neuroscience has shown is that throughout your life your brain is constantly reorganizing itself and reconstructing itself and laying down new tracks of neurons based on um, a very clear and simple signal that you give your brain. And that is repetition with effort. I mean, and that is so, it's really inspiring. I think that we all have things that we're intrinsically interested in, but maybe not intrinsically, naturally good at, you know? Right. Yes. And um, so I just, I, I took so much out of the beginning of these books, just as a parent, as a person, as a, we're home educator. So as a homeschool mom teacher, you know. Um, well, as, as a homeschool parent, this idea of growth mindset, it's one of the critical ideas to get across to your youngsters. And you can do that in all sorts of ways. But it is strange how just sort of in the way we think that we're supposed to encourage our kids, we can very easily end up reinforcing a fixed mindset. Um, so there's this, these, this fascinating set of research that shows like, for instance, if you say to a little youngster, like, oh, honey, you are so good at math. You are such a good mathematician. I'm really proud of you. You're really good at math. First, we're saying to yourself, like, this is positive reinforcement and it's about math. Hey, what could possibly go wrong? The thing is, the way you're reinforcing it is in the framework of a fixed mindset. Mm. So, you are saying you have this trait called being good at math. And, and either you, you are or you aren't. That's right. And now, a trait like that also has a limit. There's going to be a point at which you are no longer good at math. Wow. And so... When you reinforce kids like that, they are more likely to cheat because they want, they don't want to let you down. Hmm. They don't want it. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're not as willing 
to try things that are challenging for them. So there's, there's this one beautiful study where they gave this test to kids and um, it was in two parts. And partway through, the kids stopped and took a little milk and cookies break. And during that, the researchers went to some of the kids randomly and they said, you know, we were looking at the way you were solving these problems. We just want to let you know you are really good at math. You're a fantastic mathematician and you've got just this great skill. You're really good at math. And with others, they said, we're watching you during the test and we noticed that you, um, you know, you kept going. When you're doing things and they're challenging you, 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 you kept going. And there's other places where you were trying things in different ways. You know, mathematicians do that too. That's, that's those, those, those practices. Mm. So they're, they're, they're focusing on something sort of about the way that you do it, not about a trait that you have. And then here's, here's the, the amazing part. For part two of the test, they're going to, they say to the kids, there's two piles of tests here. And you can pick whichever one you want. This pile over here on my left, it's questions just like the ones that you are were doing before, sort of the same nature of problems. And over here in this other pile, there are some problems in here that are, they're a lot more challenging, but there's some really interesting ones in there. Um, and um, you, might, you might find that, you know, really um, interesting and engaging. And then you go ahead and pick. Well, those kids who you told they were good at math, they go right for that pile where they know they can do it and they don't want it because they don't want to let you down. Right. And those kids who are thinking about their process and like trying different things in different ways, they pick up the challenge pile and they dive in and they do well. Wow. Oh, it's really, really powerful. I, it's, I was so... It, gives me, it, gives, it makes the, yeah. the hair stand up on the back of my so hair. So interesting that you can take a book about nature journaling yeah. Right? And the way that you wrote it and, and sort of this approach that you take, you know, that everyone can draw. It, it's actually interesting that you brought up the math because I used to be a math teacher and um, for high school students. And I think math and drawing are similar in, in, the, in the fact that people think they're either good at it or not good at it. And they shut down, you know, and then they wear that badge forever. You know, people are, you know, adults and they say, I've never been good at math. I, I can't draw. Uh, even there was a story in your book about from Amy Tan, you know, and she said that a teacher told her she had no imagination and that's what was necessary for creativity. And so she stopped drawing, you know. Um, so there's an interesting parallel there. Yeah. One of um, the, the, the sort of the great growth mindset researchers, Joe Bowler, uh, she's a mathematician and mm -hmm. has done most of the growth mindset math research. Um, um, she has uh, said to me that she believes that probably the biggest thing that people have a very clear fixed mindset about is mathematics. They say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a math person, right? <clears throat> and she's been able to prove um, quantitatively that this is a completely false notion. And it just sort of how right. you hold it in your head. Yeah. She feel, feels that the second uh, thing, the second topic that people have the greatest sort of fixed mindset kind of initial approach to is drawing a picture. Yeah. So it really is fascinating. I mean, so I read this introduction in how to teach nature journaling from this Amy Tan and she talked about, um, you know, how to, how at a young age, well, she, first of all, she said before words, we have wonder. And I thought, what a cool statement. <laughs> Isn't it true? Like kids are all little ones. They're pointing. You know, they're so interested before they even have words. But then she talked about how little ones, they're, they're doodling and they're scribbling and they're so into it. You know, and then by kindergarten age, I think you're already starting to notice, oh, I'm not as good or that that person is better than I am. You're starting to have this comparison creep in um, and you and you really doubt, you know, what you're creating and so I love in the book how you talk about, um, you say you, you draw to see, not to make a pretty picture. You know, you say if you're drawing something new, if you notice something new, your drawing is successful. That's and right. I, so it's really yeah, we're, encouraging. We're, 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 we're moving the goalpost. Mm -hmm. It's not about making that pretty picture. The yeah. goal is the experience that you have as an observer. So if you see things that you otherwise wouldn't have seen or remember them more vividly, or maybe this process makes you just slow down to the point that questions that otherwise wouldn't have come to you come up and can dance with you, that yeah. 
drawing, that journaling process is successful. Um, it did what it is there to do. And the when you really embrace that idea, it gives you permission to make lots and lots and lots of drawings mm -hmm. and diagrams and maps and just little doodles that help. You know, the part of your brain that is involved with making a little picture is a different region of your brain that is involved with either mathematics or with language. And so when you are bringing those, those little doodles and maps and icons and little sketches and pictures to bear on whatever you're observing or whatever you're thinking about, you are quite literally engaging different regions of your brain. You've got more of a neural wow. trampoline to engage yeah. with any of these ideas. And then your brain functions better in the long run. I guess I didn't, I, you know, I'm encouraging families to get outside. Um, it's because going outside changed our life. Um, I was really struggling as a mom. Um, but I did not have a clear understanding about nature journaling. Just like how I didn't have a clear understanding about how nature helps all of us grow in so many facets anyway. But mm -hmm. it's been so interesting True. to read about how the journaling really helps brain brain growth. And I think in brain function. And when parents know those things, you know, I was thinking about how. So as I'm reading through your things, I'm thinking about how. So we have five kids in eight years. So they're eight and under. And I just remember thinking like when we used to go outside and I had this double stroller and a little platform off the back for another kid to stand. And I had a kid on my back and we had so <laughs> much stuff, Jack. you know, I mean, it's like things are overflowing. And I kind of was, before I read your books, I would have thought, well, how, how could I possibly add in nature journaling? But then I thought, well, how easy is it to throw in a journal and some art pens? You know, I mean, and there's so many cute little art pen cases. I mean, that's easy. And there there really are truly so many times where if we're in the right environment, there's we're not by a road or anything. The kids are just exploring. And I could have had a little nature journal out and I could have been drawing and modeling for them. And I'm sure they would have come over and joined right in too. Um, so for parents to know, it's so powerful to know that this is helping uh, with brain growth and that those are lifelong benefits. Yes, you know, you, you're, you're absolutely right. So you, you, you hit on two really, really interesting themes there. So one is that the amount of stuff that you have to do to kind of enter into this is that the bar is low. Yes. Right? Yes. You, put, you get yourself your own little kind of just a little cute mini kit. Mm -hmm. And then you, you described what you did with it is that rather than said like, you know, Danny, I need you to come over here and sit right down. I need you to nature journal right now. Like, no, you said that you were going to pull it out yourself and just make a little sketch, do a little bit of nature journaling here, a little nature journaling there. And they, you know, they don't listen to anything we say, but they watch everything we do. Yeah. And then next thing you know, little Danny's going to be like, well, yeah, I? they're going to take your pen and your book they're right, take from, your you. Pen. right from you. Right from you. That's what I thought. If I would have done that in those moments when we're sitting on the blanket doing nothing else, you know, and so, like you said, it's a very accessible. You had said um, in here that you, ha you, you had a little hook, you hung your journal up, you know, like this how to take it with you. You have a whole section in there. On, this is in the other book I wrote down on how to take it with you. And you said you got a little hook. Okay. So you said in time, I realized I had too much stuff in my kit. You know, you had to like pare it down so that it's easy to grab. And you said your system is that it fits in an over shoulder, over the shoulder bag and hangs on a hook next to the front door. So you just grab it and go, you That's know, a kid you could have do. the cutest little bag. I mean, there's so many, my daughters call theirs. Yeah, my daughters call them the adventure kits. I've got my adventure Aww. kits. Yeah, And so, you know, there's, there's a little microscope thing in there. There's a binoculars in there. There's their journaling supplies. Um, my daughters also, <laughs> when, when they were little, I would tell them these adventure stories starring uh, uh, two brave and adventurous little girls named Amelia and Carolyn, <laughs> which of course Cute. were their, their names. names. Yeah. And there'd always be one point in the story where they're getting ready to go on this adventure. And so they're packing a kit. So they're like, they're getting their flashlight and they're getting journaling supplies and they're kind of getting, and we kind of go through this again and again and again. And so they wanted, so they started making their own adventure girl kits. That's and, awesome. uh, oh, and one thing that's in the, in the stories, um, there's, I would always say, and of course they packed a rope because, 
you always need a rope. <laughs> and, and so, of course, you'd have to figure out some point in the story where you'd have to have a rope in order to get up, down, over, around, or through whatever obstacle um, or to you know put a leash on the dragon or whatever it is that is going on in the narrative. Um, so my daughters then put ropes in their kits. Then I, uh, they've got this rope they've named Elizabeth, the Elizabeth rope. That's and awesome. Elizabeth comes with us. Like, do they do have Elizabeth? Of, of course, <laughs> I've got Elizabeth. <laughs> so we were just up in the redwood forest um, exploring around this last weekend. Um, did uh, a little bit. We found an albino redwood tree. Did a little bit of nature journaling with that. Um, come around the corner. There's this incredible magic climb me redwood tree, but part of it is inaccessible. And you know what you needed to get up it? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. (laughs) (laughs) Eating better is easy with factors, delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I.com outside for 15% off your first order. I mean, this, you, these books embody you, you're fun and you're (laughs) accessible and you're just wanting to draw people into this world. I mean, those are the, it's, it's full. Your books are full of practical, right? Like as a parent, like I want to make this fun. I get a cool little bag. You know, like like you said, the the entry point is low. It's not expensive. This is going to be airing on, um, on Thanksgiving, so we're heading into the holiday season. Well, get your kid an adventure kit, you know, with yes. their journaling stuff. Get yes. them, get them the book. <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, this is fantastic. I, I want to talk more about, I want to talk more about the why. Um, mm-hmm. You have in, um, in the How to Teach Nature journaling book. I mean, just pages after pages about the why that I was unaware of. Um, so, do you want to? Can you hit me some? some high points why i mean it's such a it's a really yeah. big question but why no, nature so, journal so for, first let me uh, for, for folks who haven't experienced this before um what we're talking about with nature journaling is basically you're out in the woods somewhere um and you have a little blank notebook in your hand and just very basic drawing tools writing tools you're making observations of what you see and 
translating those down onto your page, along with the questions that you ask. Um, you know, you're talking about how Mary Oliver said at the start, we have wonder. Um, and we want to reinforce that wonder instead of put a little stopper in it. So we're training ourselves to like find the questions and find the question behind the question. So we're writing those down in our journals. And sometimes we figure things out. We write those down in the journals. Sometimes we say like, you know, this reminds me of this. And we're writing those down in the journals. Sometimes that kind of almost creates a little poem. We write those down in the journals. So the journal is this... Um, is this medium that is between your brain and the world that is in front of you. And it reflects back to you everything that you've noticed and wondered and thought. So I just want to, I just want to say I had written down on this paper, what is considered journaling, but I was a little embarrassed to ask uh, yeah. And you know, um, I, so I, so you knew you started with the what I'm, no. I'm so grateful that you did that. Um, cause I, and- I, I asked the why, cause I was kind of embarrassed <laughs> even though I had the question down, but you know, it's like, I, I do think that that is a question. Like what is, can, you know, you look through this book and there's so, it's so vast. It's really neat to see. I think that kids would love to look through these books. It's really neat to see the yeah. vast array of what j- this nature journaling could look like. Um, so, you know, I you think that, that's, the what. That, that's a, that's a great uh, approach to do it. Cause and everybody's journal is going to look different. Yeah. Um, so that's why in the, how to teach nature journaling book um, in that book, I've got journal pages from a bunch of different people who keep, Nature journals. Yes. Yes. And, in different languages, even. Yeah. Because there's, there's not one way to do it. There's, so if yeah. I just had all my stuff in there, people would think, like, oh, in order to do nature journaling, my nature journaling should look like John Mirlaz's stuff. But yeah. no, it, I mean, all these people are taking totally different angles and approaches to doing yeah. what they're doing, and they're getting different things out of it. Um, you I'm are holding, going to. I'm holding it up as you're talking because I, well, this goes on YouTube too. I'm just gonna. Oh, cool. So, um, so just for people like, I mean, the, I was very intrigued, you know, and just, I mean, this is interesting to see all these different, you know, types of drawings and types of sketches and uh, even like graphs and, um, it's so open ended. Right. Yeah. And so you can start where you are with whatever mm-hmm. your comfort zone is. Yeah. And then you just push yourself a little bit outside of that. Um, so let's say for you, it's writing. That's where, okay, I feel it. By the way, with your writing, you don't need to spell correctly. You don't need any kind of grammar, right? You're just using words. The journal is for you. Yeah. It's not for a presentation to somebody about like, look mm-hmm. at the drawing that I did. Yeah. It is, the journal itself is, the way I think of it, it's your brain on paper. And if you don't want anybody else looking at it, just tell them it's your diary. Yeah. And then then everybody leaves it alone. But if you want to share, like if you're okay with letting your kids or family or other people look through it, they'll be inspired and they'll want to try it too, because it's really fun. Um, And And so, okay. So that's the what. So that's that's the what. And there's the why. um, Which I am so thankful. Like, I really am really thankful (laughs) that you took the time to, um, to talk through that because- it was a little fuzzy for me, but like I said, I was a little embarrassed to ask. So way to go. <laughs> uh, okay. So then the why, I mean, there's pages and pages yeah. in your book about the why. So I, I think it's important for us as educators to understand the why, um, because then if we can translate that authentically to our kids, they intrinsically get it like, oh, mm-hmm. I get it. Yes. This is something that I want to be part of my game. Yeah. I see why you're doing this. It isn't just one of these kind of busy work things that grownups sometimes come up with. Hmm. Um, right. The, the grownups will sometimes have these grand ideas of what you should do. Mm-mm. That's not what this is about. Right. This is this is for you by you. Self-directed. And yeah. So um, a big part of this is kind of engaging our intrinsic motivation to do it ourselves. And so that's why kind of really embracing the why about it is so useful. Yeah. Um, a couple of just sort of big picture ideas that I think are helpful. One is to realize that 
as wonderful as our human brains are, they are incredibly limited. It's like a little computer out there. I, I, there's lots of problems, by the way, with the computer analogy for brains, but mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, I will use it here uh, just to make this one small point. Um, it's like a computer, like the one I'm working on, that doesn't have a lot of memory. You try to do too many things on it, and it's going to slow down, and it's going to crash. Hmm. And so, all I have to do is have you try to remember um, bird had um, red band across the upper chest, white on the throat, and then white lower down on the belly, no wing bars, and maybe a little bit of dark at the tip of the tail. <laughs> um, and your brain is completely full and is useless for doing anything else. So what you do is you just take those observations and you put them down in the book. You take those observations, these other observations, you drop them down in the book. The book is now going to hold them for you and allow you to do something greater than you could do just inside the walls of your brain. So this is essentially the journal is thinking outside your brain. Wow. And it is extending the capacity of what your brain can do because they're in two very oh, important like ways. That. One is that you can get more stuff in there than you can get into your brain, which can ha handle maybe sort of seven different thoughts, plus or minus two at one time. And then thank you very much. It's full. Right? Mm -hmm. um, the other is that when you get these ideas down on the page and you look at them, you're now all your observations, your questions, your things, you, the, everything you've noticed is reflected back at you. And you can now actually notice what you have been noticing. You Ooh. can think about what you have been thinking about. How am I thinking? What kinds of questions am I asking? It makes the whole process that is usually behind the curtain available and accessible to you. This is something that neuropsychologists call metacognition. So the idea of thinking about what you're thinking about. And if you're able to do that and really reflect on your process, you end up thinking better. So, but the problem with, if I told you right now to start thinking about what you're thinking about, you actually can't do it. Because the minute you start thinking about what you're thinking about, you are no longer thinking about what you were thinking about. You are now <laughs> thinking about thinking about that thing, right? And so it gets pretty meta pretty fast. And so you're not able to observe yourself thinking. When you look down on the journal page, you see yourself thinking right there on the page, line by line, stroke by stroke with a picture, with a diagram, with words, with things that you're counting, things that you're measuring. It also makes your memory bulletproof. Human memories, we have the impression, we have the illusion of having good memories. You can remember some experience that you had in childhood vividly. Um, well, what research has found out is that lots of the memories that we have are things that are mostly the stuff that we made up. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's called wow. confabulation. And what your, when your brain remembers something from the past, what it's doing, it's, it's not just like pulling up a file in a computer. Um, I think the best analogy that I have for it is a really bad photocopy machine. So let's say you have some experience. That's your picture. You put it in the bad photocopy machine. This terrible reproduction comes out of it. You look at the terrible reproduction. You go like, oh, that's a terrible reproduction. So you get out your pen and you touch it up and you fix in all the places, right? That's what your brain does. It takes some of these old memories. Mm. They come up and then there are all these gaps. Your brain seamlessly fills in all the holes but you have no knowledge of what was stuff that you made up and what was the original file. Now, the next time you remember that same phenomenon, it's going to be starting from this modified file, from starting from this bad Xerox copy that you retouched. You put that back into the bad Xerox machine, it comes out with a bad copy of the retouched <laughs> bad copy. Now you retouch that again. So every time you're remembering something, you're actually modifying your memories. Wow. That's scary. 
Yeah, especially exactly. if we have we have the illusion though that we are kind of that our memories are good and solid, um, and I know what I saw, and but data doesn't back that up. So when you make an observation and you write it down in your journal. It becomes, you, you now have, those items aren't going to be modifying and changing over time hmm. because you've got them there on paper. You can come back to that. Um, you know, major details of our past, of the things that you observe. So, in your journal, you can have stuff about your nature observations. You can also have your thoughts about, you know, you can sort of splice this in with, with the practice of keeping a diary. Hmm. Um, people who keep a diary are more emotionally intelligent than people who don't. Okay, Jack. Wow. It's one of the things that, 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 that wow. to increase people's emotional intelligence is get them to start journaling. And well, then you, it's because people who do that, they, they actually learn from their mistakes. <laughs> Uh, well, because they're remembering correctly. Yeah. Parti and, partially. I'm sure there's so many reasons why. Yes. Right. And it, it makes you more reflective. You can look down on the piece of paper and you also, um, generally what we do with our memory, our, our sense of self is it's a story that we tell ourselves that kind of keeps ourselves, keeps the self as the hero character kind of bopping along, making good decisions in the face of adversity. Um, and people's, if you ever heard somebody tell a fishing story, you know, that changes over time. So does, so do our stories of our past and our hero's journey. And, um, we change our internal narrative to fit the story that we would like to tell. And I do this too. It's, it's just, it's just a human mm -hmm. trait. Um, but if we're trying to kind of make, if we're trying to make decisions based on like these, these terrible memories and this inability to really observe deeply and all these sorts of things, having a brain outside your brain that can hold things in a way that keeps them and doesn't have them modify over time. And that is intentionally using these three different languages, words, pictures, and numbers. So you're, th those are each engaging different regions of your brain. Hmm. And um, you are giving yourself this um, Swiss army knife mental toolkit that you can then open up on any phenomenon or experience that you have going forward in the rest of your life. Um, you know, for instance, if your kids start to do this on a regular basis, they will become, if they're not already, they will become visual thinkers. They will become people who can think with pictures. Wow. Um, they will become people who can communicate with pictures. And that ends up being incredibly important. There have been a number of times in my life when I've been in meetings where we've been having a discussion about something and it's just ideas are floating around and nothing is really kind of concrete or coming together. And then there's somebody who's kind of quiet and she's sort of sitting over at the end of the table. And then she reaches out and she pulls a napkin over to her and she makes a little doodle on the back and thinks for a little bit more, changes the doodle, and then pushes it across the table and says, actually, well, I'm seeing it this way. There are actually three parts, and this is the one that's separate from the, these two are interacting with each other, but this is the one that it's out on its own, and that's where we're putting all of our resources, but really all the action is over here. And everybody looks at this little diagram that this person made. There's a moment of silence, and everybody goes, well, duh. And what that person did is they used visual thinking to frame ideas and if you can take, be somebody who takes an idea and turns it into a picture, you, the person who controls the napkin controls the meeting. Wow. And if you can't make your own napkin, you or your kids are just going to be subject to other people's napkins for the rest of their yeah. lives. <laughs> well, that's such a great way to put it. That's such a great way to put it. And I think you're just, you're just scratching the surface here of 
of the depth of benefits. You know, I think um, I heard in a podcast you were just talking about gratitude and presence. And, you know, so beyond this brain enhancement, there are all these other things as well. One thing that, okay, so one thing that grabbed me was you said that while researching this book, this phenomenal full of things book, um, you say you said we interviewed working scientists about how they use journals and studied the notebook pages of naturalists and thinkers from Leonardo da Vinci to Charles Henry Turner, Nikola Tesla. You know, you said looking for patterns. How did they capture ideas and build meaning? Meaning, so that that captured my attention because I I've never thought like oh. Other people are journaling and and doing these things that are that are helping them to increase their intelligences, in, emotional <laughs> intelligence, and other things. That's right. Um, so people say, isn't it lucky that you know Leonardo da Vinci was this incredible genius and happened to leave behind these notebooks, and we can look back into Leonardo's notebooks and sort of see some of that genius. Um, I would say that that's actually a, that framing of it kind of misses the point. Leonardo da Vinci was Leonardo da Vinci because. Leonardo da Vinci kept those notebooks. And if Leonardo da Vinci didn't keep notebooks like that, Leonardo da Vinci would not have been the da Vinci that we came to know. Um, the, yeah. Every scientist who has significantly contributed to our understanding of the way that the world works, that you can name, kept a journal. Come on. And the wow. ones who didn't, we don't know their names because they didn't com uh, really contribute anything. Wow. The, I mean, that, the, that's that, the base right there. That just shows you how powerful it is. Yeah. It's, it is, I, I, I believe that keeping a journal is the missing piece. Right. It is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but it's interesting. You know, there's a number of people who were totally tapped into this. Um, like uh, you're talking about um, uh, homeschooling families. Um, yeah. If you're familiar with the Charlotte Mason system. Yeah. Charlotte Mason was totally tapped. You, into <laughs> she knew, well, she's the one who says kids should be outside for four to six hours. Yes. Whenever the weather's tolerable. Yes. So, 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 yeah. so she's saying she's, two things. She's, she's the start she's, of our journey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Charlotte Mason is out there saying, all right. Frankly, get yourself outside. And number two, bring a journal with you. And so between you and me, there what we go. we're doing is <laughs> we're just sort of going back to old school Charlotte Mason 101. Mm -hmm. Read yourself some books. Yeah. Go outside, bring a journal, and case closed. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and I think there is hope in that simplicity that we can do. This is what I always say. We can do less and gain more. Boom. You know, and oh, you just knocked answer. it out of the park. That's right. So it's, this isn't comp. This isn't, this is not complicated. Yeah. This is basic stuff and it can become sort of routines that are not just things that you do with your kids because you have to kind of follow some curriculum, but these yeah, are practices that change your life and yeah. you will do for the rest of your life as well. And they will carry these through yeah. for their life. Yes. They will become yes. lifelong John, readers. I read they so will I, be people yes. in love with that and outdoors. They'll be going outside for the rest of their lives. They'll be keeping notebooks and journals and thinking yeah. on paper. Yeah. I, um, I, I got through, you know, I'm preparing for this podcast. Like I said, in your world, but not, you know, I mean, we're going outside for a thousand hours every year. I'm not bringing along a journal. I'm missing. I read your books. I go, gra I go grab mine. There you go. <laughs> you know, cause I'm like, I want to do it. I want to do it. I got my pencil case, you know, I'm ready. And so to be able to, I think it's a gift, um, Jack, to be able to present material in a way that that helps to strip away that guilt and just says, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. You know, I'm ready. And it bothers me when I look at books that are kind of written from the perspective of look how well I can do this skill. Aren't you impressed by that? Um, mm. I like books that kind of get under the hood and say, here's how I did this. Here's why I did this. You want to do it too? I did this and this and this and this. These are the things I was doing intentionally. And then this kind of works with, yeah. with, with, with practice and time. So just to try to de I try to demystify a whole 
bunch of this process of I'm going to pick up a paper, a pencil and grab a piece of paper, and I'm going to make an image of something. And that's going to help me look at it. And then how it's neat yeah, to know that a lot of the stuff you, you can learn. Demystify is like such the perfect word for the book. It makes it um, attainable. The books make yeah. it attainable. And also, um, like, intriguing or it pulls you to say, oh, wait, it's dark, but now I can't wait till tomorrow because I've got my journal ready. I'm going to go try it. And, you know, I know my kids are going to follow. Um, can, can we talk about, I think that this is going to be a, a subject that's really interesting to parents, um, is that here you are, uh, you are influencing the world. You've got these phenomenal materials. You're dyslexic. Yes. And, and that is a big part of your story. I, you talk about it in both yep. books. Um, you know, and I know that a lot of our listeners, their children are dyslexic. And so I think, um, I was hoping to read, I wanted to read a little section in here. You say, um, my journals stoked my curiosity and accelerated my learning. I was and am dyslexic. In those days, I struggled academically. Nature was my refuge, and my journals were a safe place for me to wonder, think, write, and draw without fear of judgment or criticism. Um, and you talk about it in both books. It's very encouraging, yeah. I guess, is, you know, I mean, would be one word. I am dyslexic dyslexic you might be interested to see early drafts of this manuscript the writing filled with phonetic misspellings in my childhood i thought that not being able to smell to spell meant i was stupid i was struggling in school but in nature i felt alive and safe from the red pens everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot and for me that means making sure i'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything i want to do but I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops' price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code OUTSIDE120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code OUTSIDE120 at goodchop.com slash OUTSIDE120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash OUTSIDE120, code OUTSIDE120. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's, um, so any, any dyslexic kids who ever listened to this podcast, um, know that you're not alone. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of us out here. Yeah. And the time that it is hardest is right now. 
in school, um, they put so much weight on knowing how to spell those words or memorizing the multiplication tables. I still don't know my multiplication tables. I still can't spell. Um, and when I was in school, I thought that, I could, that the fact that I couldn't do those things was a reflection of how smart I was. I thought that, you know, in those days, we really didn't know very much at all about learning disabilities. I was Johnny Doe in a bunch of the early dyslexia experiments and research. Um, and, um, you know, uh, teachers, you know, they, they, they had models of how brains worked that, you know, basically if I just applied myself and worked harder, I would get through these things. Right. And just kind of work your way through it. <laughs> I still don't know how to spell. <laughs> right. And, and that's okay. But yeah, the difference is the difference is that now I know that that's not the most important thing. I know that mm-hmm. that's not, um, that that's not an indication of my brain's ability to learn and grow. Um, I don't judge myself based on those narrow, narrow criteria. Turns out when you grow up, if you've got good ideas, somebody else will spell check them for you. There you go. There you go. There will be, you'll be, so, but, but the danger is that if we give up on ourselves, and I almost did. Wow. Wow. Uh, when I was in high school, um, I looked at all the evidence I had and, uh, I thought to myself that, you know, the, I knew that grownups like to say things to make you feel better. And sometimes they'd say things that weren't true. For me, the simplest explanation for this was that I really wasn't that smart and that there were smart kids and dumb kids. I was one of the dumb kids. And if you believe that, then it doesn't make any sense to try so hard. I could knock myself out trying to get those spelling words and I still couldn't do it. At the end of the day, that paper would come back just covered with that red pen. And so if I didn't really try then, if I didn't give it my best, I, was, I used that then as my sort of way of kind of insulating myself from the shock and the shame, mm-hmm. the shame that I felt for not being able to do that and um, found other ways to kind of make my mark. I sort of became a disruptive factor in school. I was the class clown and sort of used my sense of humor to further insulate me from the shame of dyslexia. Um, But I was lucky. There were two teachers who saw through that. You write about them in your book. Yeah. 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 And so for the teachers out there and for the parents out there, just to know what a difference that they can make. Yeah. You, know? you, don't, you don't need to have great teachers every step of the way, but somebody who really sees through that. And these people had no, like, I knew that my parents who were telling me like, no, Jack, you're smart, right? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you guys are my parents, right? You're supposed to say that. These two teachers, Leroy Voto and Alan Ridley, they didn't have any dog in the fight and they saw through it. And they looked at my ideas in a way that other people had, and they put away their red pen, and they came back to me, to me front with my ideas with other ideas, and they asked me questions about my ideas, and I had more ideas about those ideas, and then it just went on from there. Um, and in a matter of one year, they turned my world upside down. Wow. And here you are, really just influencing the entire globe, you know? 
and and so you said your journals were a place for you, um, you know, to sort of retreat, and um, that's a gift, you know. So that's a yeah. that's a whole other that's branch, right? right? That's a so whole yeah, other and so the, the, yeah, the journal itself. It's so it's not about pretty pictures. So if if pictures aren't your thing, right? Don't worry about the pictures, but use pictures because they'll change the way you think. Yeah. Um, if you can't spell, don't worry about the spelling. Don't worry about the grammar, but use the um, use words to help express your ideas because again it's a different kind of thinking use numbers to um to help you think in a totally different way and now, well, well there's something in here that i have never seen before um which was about well you call it forest karaoke and there's journaling about transcribing bird songs and yes. I thought that was fascinating, grabbing the rhythms. Well, and then you also talk, there's, you have a history of birding with your dad um, that I've heard you talk about. But then Actually, this, before we go on to this, just maybe yeah. I, I want to circle back to yep. the dyslexia one more time, because I've got one other thought that I yep. think is relevant in there. Um, so I'm speaking directly to any other dyslexic kids out there. So the danger is though, was, is what happened to me when I gave up on myself. Um, when you get out of school and you're in the rest of the world on the other side of this, again, there's somebody else who's going to check your spelling for you. It's going to be okay. The hard part is getting through this part right now because there's like all this pressure and all this value on these things that I still can't do. And... Um, what you want to do is, like Whitman said, I contain multitudes. You contain multitudes. You are so much more than the way you spell, than your transposing numbers, right? I have a card in my wallet that has my telephone number on it for when I forget what my telephone number is. Um, and, um, what will happen as you kind of go along, you'll figure out these strategies and ways to compensate for this and, um, embrace this dyslexia. It is actually a gift. I, I know you're thinking like, no, 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 Jack, you don't understand. No, actually I did. Um, and here's why I say that it's a gift because, Through your whole life and your school training here, um, you've never been able to go in the front door. And you could watch all those other kids walk in straight in through that front door. And that was never accessible to you. So what if you don't give up on yourself, you have had to learn how to go around to the backside and find the other entrance how to find the window that's open a little bit, climb up two floors and get in through that window. So you end up realizing that there's, for any one problem, there's the one way which everybody else is taking, that hasn't been your way. The dyslexia forces us to take all these different other crazy circuitous paths. And if we don't give up on ourselves, down the line, that becomes an incredible strength that is so much more important than your ability to spell anything. What a and that's, that's what makes yeah. the difference. Um, so dyslexics are statistically way overrepresented as CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. That's awesome. We're also overrepresented in the general prison population. Okay. Because we can give up on ourselves. But if we yeah. don't give up on ourselves, this struggle that you're in right now um, is going to train dyslexic superpowers in your head, in your mind, in you, that will look like magic to other people. Because you know how to climb up two floors and get in that window. Yeah. Yeah. Um, don't give up on yourself. Um, if I can be of any help to you or any families out there who are listening to this, I invite you at any point to just 
get in touch with me. Um, you can, you don't have, you can just cold call me. My telephone number, my email is all on my website. And um, if you would help to have somebody else to talk to, I'm here for you. Or perhaps just my story and knowing that you're not alone. There's many of us out here. Yeah. Um, and uh, you can do this. And you are not broken. What a message. It's so important. And even just through your books, I think that kids and parents and teachers will get that message. Um, you talk about it in the introductions. You know, it's interesting, Jack. I, um, Elizabeth, she sent me um, a podcast of yours to listen to with someone else. I can't remember the name. Um, and it was an hour and a half. And I was like, how could they talk for an hour and a half about nature <laughs> journaling? <laughs> you, know, you know, here we are. There's so there's so much here, you know, so much here um, that I, I guess I just didn't realize at all. Um, and so much about you, you know, that's impacting the world uh, through what you've discovered and through your persistence. Um, I, I wanted to touch real quick on just some of the cool things in the book, um, you talk, you have different activity ideas that are enticing. Like, um, I notice, I wonder, it reminds me of, um, my secret plant. So I know we're kind of, we're running short on time here, but. Well, I, yeah. on my end, I've got all the time in the world. Um, okay. So people are be like, oh, again, I listened to an hour and a half so about nature. You're listening to this. <laughs> Make some popcorn out there, everybody. We're going to be here for a while because uh, yeah. also this is this is fun for me. I'm really enjoying uh, the chance yeah. to talk to you. Um, but yeah, that idea, if I notice, I, I wonder so what reminds notes me of. Yeah. That, that idea is, that's sort of like my nature journaling mantra. And the way okay. that this works is so when I go out, um, there are three fundamental ideas that I'm trying to engage with. I'm trying to, how can I supercharge my ability to observe, supercharge my curiosity, and super, supercharge my creativity and my creative thinking and my sense of connection with things. And so the shortcut to that is this little phrase, I notice, I wonder, it reminds me of. And the way you use it is like this, you walk up to whatever it is, and you just start saying out loud or documenting, writing down on your piece of paper, all the things that you notice. And then the next thing, the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. And so we're intentionally sort of starting with this baseline, baseline of data, of observations about the world around us. And that then starts to stimulate our curiosity and questions. And so as questions come up, I write those down in my journal as well. And what I want to do is to try to stimulate myself to ask more questions. Can I make myself more curious? Um, how many questions can I come up with? If you're a parent who works with, who's got a real young youngster in the house, you know that they are, a, 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 you know, a little child is, is, is a question mark running around on on two legs, right? <laughs> and just just little question marks like what, 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 how does, when, when will that, you know, all these sorts of things. What happens is I think as we kind of get older, that insatiable curiosity um, gets trained out of us. Hmm. Um, we, you know, the, if we've got questions, you know, that's sort of a sign like, oh, didn't you read the chapter on that? As or you're if, embarrassed okay. to ask. Like yeah. I was embarrassed to ask what, what is considered journaling, you know, right. you're embarrassed. And yeah. the questions that you have are going to be the same questions. The ones that are most burning for you are going to be the ones that are burning for, for most other people. Mm -hmm. But um, asking those obvious questions and then following that up with the question behind the question. And then you follow that up with the question behind the question behind the question. You can get better and better and better at asking questions. Asking really good questions is one of the critical skills to develop as a scientist. Um, and, but that gets sort of, you know, if we started off as question marks, by the time we are done with our formal schooling, most of us end up as periods. Hmm. And then I've got some facts, and that's it. Oops, this is my 
little notification to uh, go take my daughter to uh, swim class, but yeah. my wife is handling that tonight. Um, sorry okay, to we're have good. Okay, you're fine. No, you're fine. Um, yeah. So, the, well, so I noticed what I really loved about it is it's such an entry. It's so easy, you know, it, it, well, and there's several activities that are in the how to teach nature journaling book, but that I noticed, I wonder, reminds me of, is it's a conversation starter. It's such an easy way. Yes, entry, and, it's and an entry point. You can do this with a phenomenon in science, a phenomenon in nature. You can also do this um, when you read a book. Like, what did you notice about that chapter? What questions do you have? And the it reminds me of is a really interesting part of it. So the it reminds me of a lot of people are kind of, they kind of like intuitively understand, like I notice, I wonder, but like, why is that? It reminds me of in there. This ends up being a really, really, really big deal. It's there for two reasons. Um, and that's your creativity and connection. So what, what you do with it reminds me of is you think to yourself, what have I seen, read, experienced in my life that one way or another however tangentially I can connect with this. And what you're going to do is like, like, you know, so this is kind of like this other thing. And when you practice kind of finding the relationships between things like this, you get better and better and better at it. So my working definition of creativity is your brain's ability to make useful connections between seemingly unrelated things. So, um, if you can become one of these people like, oh, that's kind of like this, like this, be one of these people who sees those connections and can see those relationships, that is really, really powerful. That's really, really powerful. And that is being somebody who is a connector in their head is a skill set that you want. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It.